Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Recent visitors to thestrad.com may have noticed a video that premiered called Racing Horses, featuring a spirited performance from the cello and piano Cheng Squared duo, comprising siblings Brian Cheng on cello and Sylvie Cheng on piano. Racing Horses features on their upcoming album Portrait, which contains works of composers of Asian heritage, as well as two arrangements of Chinese folk songs, Racing Horses being one of them. In an international operation that involved Brian in Romania, Sylvie in New York and me being in London, both siblings joined me for a conversation recently about the choices behind their album's programming, how music can be used to celebrate heritage, diversity and representation, as well as doing justice to traditional Chinese instruments on the cello and piano. Plus, the two shared details of what music making was like during their childhood in Canada. Here's Cheng Squared. Hi, Brian, and hi, Sylvie. Uh, I've got Brian and Sylvie Cheng here of Cheng Squared, <laughs> cello and piano duo, also sibling duo. Recent visitors to thestrad.com will have seen our video premiere of Racing Horses, so one of the tracks from your upcoming album together, Portraits. So this features works by contemporary Canadian and American composers of Chinese heritage, as well as arrangements of Chinese folk songs. So Brian, tell me a little bit about the reasons why you chose this repertoire for the album. Well, this album has been sort of a long time in brewing in the back of our heads. Uh, and you know, we've been brainstorming how best to approach a project like this, because on the one hand, we've been, Sylvia and I have been really passionate about commissioning for over a decade now. We've commissioned about um, a dozen works for cello and piano from composers of all different backgrounds, not just of Asian heritage. And uh, that's something we feel really strongly about, you know, to create this legacy of music that we can pass on to further generations of, of cellists and pianists. But on the other hand, as programmers, as, as performers, we're always interested in playing things that audiences might be discovering for the first time. Um, that's sort of central to the ethos of our, of our ensemble is the sense of discovery and, and something fresh. Whether that means, you know, playing a very unknown piece by Rachmaninoff, who is a famous composer, or it means discovering a completely unknown piece by like Theodore Dubois, for example, who is not often played, or uh, composers of, of today whose, whose music really deserves to be heard. And with this album, uh, we decided to tie all of these different threads together and at the same time pay tribute to our own roots as uh, Chinese Canadians. We're the children of uh, first-generation immigrants. Our parents lived in both China and Japan, where they studied at the, the University of Tokyo. Uh, they're both scientists, actually. They met in Japan, and uh, Sylvie was born there. They moved shortly after to Canada, and I was born in Canada. And so we have this really multicultural background. Now I live in Berlin, and Sylvie lives in New York City. And all of the contemporary composers on this album have a, quite a similar story or journey of you know immigration and moving from their homeland and uh, trying to 
uh, forge a life in, in a new country. And so we thought that in paying tribute to our, our roots by highlighting all of these compositions that we've commissioned by composers of Asian heritage, it would be a really special musical tribute and a way for audiences to, to get to know us uh, even, even more personally. And so the composers are not just of Chinese descent, but also one of them is Sri Lankan Canadian, uh, one of them is Japanese American, and the other two are Chinese Canadian. And so there's a real diversity of not only uh, cultures, but also musical sound worlds, because obviously um, Asia, the vast continent of Asia has, has so many uh, influences from, from all around the world. And uh, the album in itself is definitely also a journey throughout all of these interesting universes. To complement these commissioned works, we also decided to arrange these Chinese folk songs, which almost every Chinese person or person of Chinese background would recognize because they're uh, some of the most famous ones in China. They're written originally for the Arhu, the two-stringed uh, Chinese fiddle. Definitely, I've never heard them in a Western classical concert. Uh, so it was really fun for us to transport that world of Chinese folk music into the to the classical realm. Uh, so we, we had to like create these the almost the full piano accompaniment parts and just like take the melody from the arhu and, and give it to the cello. But there were also some some interesting artistic liberties uh, that we took because there's so many different variations of these folk songs that exist. And so we were both arranging and almost composing and, and transcribing. And it was a really, really involved creative process that we had never done before, especially for, for an album. You know, our past discography has been mostly um, European music that's quite, quite standard, with the exception of some unknown pieces. So this is a real departure and our first foray into uh, the world of music that's, that's extremely, extremely personal and, and connected to our duo. I think the word that you mentioned before, discovery, is super mm. important. And, you know, thinking about how you're playing something that's so familiar to you, yet so unfamiliar at the same time, because it's in this kind of new manifestation of the works. But I can definitely relate to a lot of what you said, because I too am Chinese. So I'm Chinese New Zealander. And then mm. my parents, they moved to New Zealand in the 70s. I grew up in New Zealand. And now I live in London. But mm. I mean, it's a common story for so many people. We're all making our home in various parts of the world. And what does really, you know, bring us together. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, in terms of self-discovery and thinking about roots, um, Sylvie, tell us a little bit about what music making was like in your household growing up, because Brian, you mentioned before you two have been commissioning uh, for over a decade now and obviously playing with each other um, for a long time. Tell me, what was it like during your childhood in terms of music making and the music that you were exposed yeah. to back then? So as Brian mentioned, our parents are non-musicians. So looking back, I think music was like this secret language or secret code that we shared as kids. I'm a few years older and I can remember when we had our upright piano, Brian would be in his diaper and holding on to the side of it. And as I practiced, you know, little pieces here and there, he'd be kind of wiggling his butt. So there was always this music in our home and, and music kind of bonded us together. And then he started asking for an instrument, actually asking to play something around the age of three. Um, and at the time, our parents had said, well, we have a piano at home, so that's great. You can play that too. And 
I have consistently said that I think the best decision he made in life was at age three, where somehow he knew, he said, no, I want to play something different than Sylvie. Mm -hmm. And that has put us on this path that we're on now, because now we're able to make music together. And it was really just something that was so based out of fun and bonding. You know, we would do little chalk drawings on our on our uh, driveway or we'd go jump on a trampoline or we'd go to the park and then we'd come home and play some music together. And so it was very organic. And also actually we were sort of paired together because of Brian's very first cello teacher who was um, a Suzuki teacher. And there was a point in time when he had lost access to his studio. And so our parents had offered that he could teach in our basement for a little while. And so, you know, he Brian was very, very young. I think you were five, six. We actually have lost track. Like we, we have lost track how long we've been playing together, but we are estimating now around <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. So around 20 years we've been playing together. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it came out of one day, Brian was having his lesson and then uh, yes, his teacher heard some piano upstairs and he said, who's playing piano upstairs? Um, and he said, oh, that's my sister. And uh, for people who are familiar with the Suzuki method, uh, there's different levels of, of books and they typically come with piano accompaniment. Yeah. And so his teacher said, well, that's perfect because as you go through and learn these pieces, you'll have someone at home who can play the piano accompaniment along with you to prepare for, you know, they had occasional group classes or studio recitals and things like that. So you got the gig. I then. got the gig. That was my first unpaid internship. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to learn i mean like those yeah, pieces exactly. of repertoire are truly staple aren't they um what, what, what's from suzuki i'm thinking like go tell aunt Rody, you know yes go tell Judas aunt exactly, yeah. was like, there was the yeah. squires like the minuet yeah the squires rondo i think yeah. there was like all these staples oh, like dance dance rustique yes that's what it was that was a staple yeah. william yeah. Williams and then guy. and then I think uh, somewhere around maybe book four or five for cello and there's the foray into tenor clef and you start playing chanson triste and it's like this is a real piece of music <laughs> I don't know if you had the yeah. same experience as me but yeah, yeah. that's, that's what yeah, I remember I was, I was always books. I always wanted to jump to the next book or like two books later because I would hear in group classes the advanced students playing pieces that I loved and then I would be like when can I play that and I would always it was like book eight we had all the books at home. It's like when you read a book and you like skip a few chapters to like see what happens. I was doing that with my with my Suzuki book. I wanted to like see what what the music looked like if it was too hard. I mean, you would me. also do that it with was... novels, though. I would see him get this new fantasy yeah. novel and he'd be peeking at the last page, and I was like, spoiler alert. <laughs> Oh no! Were you one of those people when Harry Potter came out? There were people when you know book five, six, seven. Those really anticipated ones came out, and then they'd go straight to the bookshop and read the last chapter because they want no, to know how I, it ends. I think I managed to curtail that temptation by that point. Age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all about the journey, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a really lovely picture you're painting of, of music making at home, and also the the roots of your collaboration. So we mentioned a little bit about. Suzuki pieces of repertoire. We were talking about shining a light on composers of Asian heritage, Chinese heritage. Do you feel like you played many pieces from composers of those heritages during your childhood? Or do you feel like this is something that you're starting to discover now? I think that's part of the impetus of this project is looking back and seeing how, I mean, there is such a rich history of music within classical music. And that's a blessing for us, you know, that we have all of this music from the past 400 years plus, I would say. Um, but at the same time, I think there was this want and need for us to kind of be able to reflect 
as you mentioned now, between you and us, and I think so many people can relate to this idea of having being part of some kind of global cultural family. And I think our generation more than ever um, will be able to have roots to so many different places. But I do think maybe the real impetus was actually COVID. I remember the two of us mm-hmm. sitting, we were in lockdown in New York. We had our last concert on March 10th, 2020. And Brian was supposed to <laughs> leave from New York to go to uh, Los Angeles for the Piatigorsky Festival, which he was very excited about. But he was leaving two days later. And that was the very first email that we got that something was canceled. So he, of course he was bummed, but you know he thought, well, I have an extra week in New York, then I'll just hang out with you until you know, the next thing comes along because we were being told it was days or weeks. <laughs> yeah. I'll just yeah. hang out with you, you know, just for yeah, like a exactly. week or so. so. He ended up, he ended up <laughs> hanging thing. out and yeah. sleeping on my couch for two and a half months. Poor guy. <laughs> but during that Very time, comfortable couch. <laughs> it's pretty comfy. During that time, I remember, I think a lot of musicians felt this way where, you know, especially in New York, every night at 7 p.m., we'd stick our heads out the windows and like hit our pots and pans and celebrate essential workers. But there was a moment when we thought, you know, are we essential or how how is what we do important in a time of need like this? And especially at that yeah. time, there was also this, you know, outbreak of violence and, and crimes against Asian Americans, especially because we were being associated with yes. the virus and things like that. And so we started to think about what it was that we could contribute to the art form and to society. Um, And even though we are coming from all these different backgrounds, there's still this sense culturally, politically, racially of division. Somehow we have this like brewing sense of division among us. And so we kind of were thinking about what could we do as a musical project that might not necessarily change, but help this sense of discovery or curiosity or ultimately just open-mindedness and celebration of diversity and not so much the othering, but actually noticing that what is perhaps special is what unites us. You know what I mean? This this common ground. Um, And so that's when we started thinking more about this personal identity, like what's the reason why we play music and what can we do beyond just playing pieces that exist or know that um, we can kind of leave this sort of legacy and this journey of discovery for the current generation of players and listeners, but also future generations. And so our dream I mean, these pieces, actually, they weren't commissioned for this album. These pieces we've commissioned from 2013 until 2020. So they they just happen to be of composers of Asian heritage. So we thought that's where the the seed sort of came along. And this idea of, in some ways, weaving a musical tapestry between our past, like our family's heritage, and but also our present, which is that we are commissioning people of today, like the what, who we consider to be the Beethovens of today. And these composers are honestly incredible. And we can't wait for the world to hear this. And we can't wait. Um, there's so many young cellists and pianists who have already been uh, writing to us on social media, like, when does the score for this come out? You know, and we can't wait to play this. Or like, I can't, you know, I'm just so excited to discover that this composer wrote a piece for cello and piano, for example. Yeah, yeah, it's it's changing the landscape a little yes. bit, isn't it? So that people become aware of so many more pieces yeah. and that, and also, you know, different perceptions of what they might perceive as what is Asian American, what is mm-hmm. Asian Canadian, etc. It's It's not really pinpointed on one thing, but it's a huge representation. Yeah. And honestly, my hope is that when people listen to this album, that they really don't focus on the background of, and they just listen just with like open ears and, and let the music have its impact. And 
wash over them and and sort of be free from judgment because I, I feel like in the end that is the beauty of music you don't need to have any mm. knowledge or education or understanding of even the background of the piece to be able to feel something and it's just music mm-hmm. isn't yeah. it you know and you feel what you feel yeah that's how we discovered these composers in the first place we we listened to their music and we we felt something we were moved or we were in awe you know of some of the things that they were writing and so for us that was the initial seed of these collaborations and I, we hope that for listeners that's that's how they sort of like get hooked on, on this music yeah. as well. So let's talk a little bit about racing horses, which is <laughs> featuring on the strad.com. I mean, there's definite imagery of horses when you listen to this piece. And I really urge that listeners go to the strad.com and listen and watch the video because we talk about the cello very commonly representing the swan, for example. Swan's got nothing in this. <laughs> <laughs> so... You mentioned this a little bit earlier, Brian, about the arrangement process of Mm -hmm. um, arranging these folk songs and that you felt almost like composers because you almost had to compose a piano part from scratch. But also, you know, the string techniques employed, like I noticed a lot of ricochet. There's a bit where you're sliding around and and you actually sound like a horse whinnying (laughs) near the end. So, you know, tell me a little bit about the creative processes behind choosing these particular techniques. I think we were somehow the most diligent <laughs> in preparing for these recordings. Like I really felt like I was diving into like a Beethoven score uh, sometimes because mm-hmm. I it was a world I didn't want to. I mean, both of us we didn't want to just play the music as it was written. You know, I, I think we really wanted to capture as much as possible the authenticity of the folk sound that's so characteristic of, of the music and especially the the arhu the the two-string fiddle which has this nasal a uh, bit like yeah. muted but super very warm. slidey kind yeah, of yeah uh, and there's, there's it, no yeah. fingerboard so of course you're, you're sliding all over the place but yeah there's a fine line between the the ornaments and, and the sliding and also the accuracy because i was watching so many videos and listening to uh, recordings of the the top arhu players and and they're incredibly precise and and detailed about how they slide how they vibrate how they so there's a whole it was almost like like baroque ornamentation because there's a whole stylistic thing to arhu ornamentation from like the the limited amounts of erhu that i've seen it's it's very agile and Mm -hmm. there's this kind of feeling of the ornaments like in um, baroque playing i guess suggesting gesture more than like a formulated uh, okay, we're going to go up and then trill on the upper note and blah, 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 blah. Exactly, yeah. It's all in service Yeah, it has the... to be very free, doesn't it? It is, yeah. It's 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 for the, the emotional impact, especially true for um, one of the other folk songs that we arranged, uh, which is called Moon's Reflection Upon a Spring. Well, it's written by a blind Arhu player. He was born sighted, but actually lost his sight later on in life and ended up being a street musician. He was so famous for his tunes and his playing that people would travel to see him on the street uh, and this is one of his most famous pieces and it's sort of like a really melancholic tragic but still with a sense of beauty uh, the the piece has and to convey that was was quite challenging you know with uh, and and I ended up playing most of it on like the d string and and g string like really really high up because I found that it had so much more impact and depth to it. We really thought about how to convey this the sound of, of the Chinese folk 
into our instruments and in the arrangements as much as possible. And with Racing Horses, that was really fun to commit to the title as, as much as possible to uh, bring out that character of the urgency, this the speed, the extreme excitement of thousands of horses um, racing with each other, because that is the inspiration behind the piece is this, um, the Nadam annual festival in Inner Mongolia, which has like a ginormous uh, horse racing event, uh, especially the effects at the end, which I won't spoil for the for the listeners who haven't watched I think video. I already did <laughs> <laughs> well you can't truly uh, understand until you until you listen it's to true it or, or you see yeah it. it really took me by surprise but in a really really wonderful way um it's it's incredibly horsey um so I I have <laughs> I have to ask Sylvie you know um in terms of piano playing and I'm sure you've played for example, Beethoven sonatas with Brian, as well as Rachmaninoff's Mighty Sonata. How did playing other cello sonata works sort of inform your choices in the piano part for racing horses? Fewer notes? <laughs> in some ways, yes, but also I, um, we had heard this version where the piano part essentially was being played by um, what's called the gujin, the Chinese instrument, which is kind of like this horizontal harp. And it's played with this plucking, like the little, little, little technique. And so there is a moment where I get the melody in the piece in which I was doing repeated notes to kind of, like, I think the entire time for this composition, we had other instruments in mind and we were thinking, how can we translate this to cello and piano? So mm. in some ways I wasn't thinking about Beethoven or Rachmaninoff at all. I was thinking we were in this like Chinese folk world. I think I have a hard time just not grinning through the entire, like whether when I was making their video or when we played this in concert, this actually became our most hotly requested encore for the past couple of years. Um, but we actually extended the piece um, to almost twice its length for the recording. So this is like the, the full new version. Um, but even in, was it Michigan this past summer? We, you know, had finished and we thought, so we were speaking to the audience and we said, you know, we're thinking of gonna, like, would you like to hear an encore? And someone literally yelled from the second row, horse racing, horse racing, horse racing. Like we had never, and we were like, wow, we're in Chipoygan, Michigan. Like, how do you know about horse racing? <laughs> so that version is called horse racing, but now this version for the album is called Racing Horses because it actually has a mm. whole new Metallica, Apocalyptica-like section where Brian really shreds on the cello. So wait till <laughs> the audiences hear that because they've never even heard this section. But <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be your next hotly requested encore. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe beyond Michigan, yeah. who, who knows. But um, yeah, that's really interesting about what you say about having other instruments in your head as well because I've spoken to um, previous guests who like for example I spoke to someone a double bassist who transcribes a lot of opera arias but for the mm -hmm. double bass and so she's mm. always got to be thinking what's the singer doing what's mm -hmm. the singer even singing uh what instruments in the orchestra are playing at the moment you know also I read something recently about standard repertoire such as Brahms's cello sonata in F major like that piano part is so orchestral yes, isn't it so you're always thinking about like if that had been orchestrated for a symphony orchestra. Symphony, yeah. You know, <laughs> feels like a yep. symphony, I'm sure, for you. You've always got to be thinking about the different colors and, and you know, different instruments that could be represented exactly. in that music. And this kind of runs through the rest of the album. There's another piece, as Brian mentioned, by a Sri Lankan Canadian composer named Dinuk Wijaratne. 
And it's cutely titled Portrait of an Imaginary Sibling because he asked us to imagine if we had a third sibling. People often ask, you know, are there more of you? (laughs) And we always say, no, there's just two of us. But now there's a a musical score version of our third sibling. Um, And in that piece, Brian imitates this Indian instrument called the sarangi. And so that's also like that's a whole other technique. So I just feel like we were so inspired by this rich history of music that comes from our, you know, our roots, mm. whether it's different countries in in Asia. And I think if there was a, we were trying to find a way to include those sounds, to respect those sounds, and to introduce those sounds to audiences of today and listeners. And so I think it's it'll be a fascinating journey as a listen because you're really traveling through time, you're traveling through space, you're it, we hope it's one of those albums that you listen to and you just get lost in. You know, you, yeah. you finish and you're like where am I? Where was I? Where, like, what just When happened? was I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, the best music does does that to you, doesn't it? Um, mm. I feel like I could speak to you guys forever about this. Chang Squared, Brian and Sylvie, thank you so much for, you know, sharing very passionately the ideas behind your album. And once again, I will implore listeners to check out the video on thestrap.com to see the aforementioned Winnie at play. So <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank us, you so you know. much. That was Brian and Sylvie of the Chang Squared Duo. Again, do check out their video on thestrad.com. It's absolutely brilliant. Portrait will be released on 27th of October. And my goodness, this is the 100th episode of the Strad Podcast. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in so far and to everyone who's shared their words of wisdom with me and the listeners over the last couple of years. If you're new to the podcast, do check out our extensive back catalogue. There are 100 episodes now, after all. That's hours and hours of stringy chat. What more could you want? And don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. And if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days. Start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. It will help people discover this podcast. Here's to 100 episodes. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another one. Take good care. Bye.